before I came on this podcast, we had a pizza party here because we had gotten a new part up and running on one of our hydromats. And so we just brought in pizza for the day to recognize the team that worked on it and everybody benefits on it. I mean, it doesn't cost a lot of money to do that stuff, but it's important. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's show is the first episode in our new series about hiring and retaining good employees in machining companies. Our guest is Scott Amy, co-owner and CEO of American Turn Products in Erie, Pennsylvania. Scott says his company is struggling, like many manufacturing businesses right now, to hire new good employees. So it needs to get the most out of the people it already has. He says small acts of recognition and making employees feel heard is key to maintaining a happy and productive workforce. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to be with Scott Amy, co-owner and CEO at American Turn Products in Erie, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the show, Scott. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I'm the one who's honored, not you. I mean, I've uh, listened to many of your podcasts and enjoyed them, and uh, thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're totally boosting my ego. Um, we interviewed Scott's brother, Harry some time ago actually took quite a bit of convincing to get Harry on the show but I, I think maybe I proved it was a good thing having him on the show and Scott yeah again I really appreciate it so let's just start out first thing I want to do is give people a very quick overview of American Turn Products otherwise known as ATP what kind of company you are and how many employees you have yeah just give me the, the cliff notes version We've got uh, about 100 employees. It's down a little bit from where it was last year. We have job openings, so anybody who's uh, interested in uh, working at ATP, uh, it's atpteam.com, www.atpteam.com. So a uh, little plug there. Um, we're a precision machining company. We support a number of various industries, automotive, appliance, military, uh, hydraulics, just a, a very wide range of products. We uh, were primarily higher volume machining, uh, meaning that uh, we're really good at millions of things, hundreds of thousands of things, not 50th something or 100 or something. That's really not our something we're really good at. It's debatable how good we are at even the higher volume stuff, but we do. Uh, that's really where 
we think we do our best. So, uh, well, I just, I mean, for just for the people that don't know, ATP has some of the nicest equipment I've ever seen. You know, lots of great Epic CNC Hydra mats, the newest indexes, these guys, uh, you know, and some older stuff as well. But I mean, you go in there and it's very state of the art. You know, as Harry was telling me the other day, it's just if you're going to be making millions of parts, you better you better have good stuff. Otherwise, you're going to get into trouble. Well, you got to have reliable equipment. It's important. And you got to have a have good um, maintenance systems. And uh, you certainly don't want to spend a couple million dollars on a machine and then running into the ground in a year or two. You've got to maintain your equipment and take good care of it. And we have really good people that, that do those sorts of things for us. And uh, we're very fortunate uh, with a lot of the folks we have here that work very hard to keep things running the way it's supposed to. Yeah, well, that's a good segue because we're starting a season today about workforce, how to hire people, how to retain people. When I talk to listeners, readers, and I say, well, what do you want to hear? And they say the the number one thing they want to hear is I want to talk to, I want to hear people talk about how they hire employees because I'm having trouble with it. I, I want to know what other people are going through. And so we're going to talk about that today in particular. But before we go into that, Scott, I want, you know, I want the three minute bio. Give, give me the three minute uh, story. How it's a com- it's a family business. I know you, you didn't get into this business right away. You know, you were in, you were in the military, correct? Yes. I, uh, I went right out of high school into the army. I uh, went to the military academy at West Point, spent four years there, got a... So you enlisted in the army first? No, I I was at West Point for four years. It's a four-year college. Wow, okay. And um, uh, I was technically in the army, but I wasn't enlisted and I had, hadn't been commissioned yet. So it's complicated. There's... Uh, but so I spent four years in school, a military school, and then was commissioned as a lieutenant in the U.S. Army and did five years on active duty at Fort Bragg, North Carolina in the 18th Airborne Corps. I was a logistics guy. And then uh, after five years, when I was 27 in 1989, I came to ATP as a manufacturing engineer. And you're, you are older than Harry, correct? Or yeah, young? Uh, three years older. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, after I started out as a manufacturing engineer, now I worked in the company when I was in high school, you know, like everybody does in family businesses. I cleaned the restrooms and uh, spun chips and ran machines, ran grinders and drill presses and chuckers and things like that. And then um, came out and uh, when I was 27, uh, I was a captain in the Army at the time and uh, joined the company. I also uh, stayed in the Army National Guard and served in the National Pennsylvania National Guard for seven years after uh, until I was about 35. And, uh, you know, had a number of different positions in the business over the years, uh, really kind of gravitated toward sales and engineering. I've been a plant manager uh you know, I, I was vice president of sales and marketing, and then uh, I was named CEO 15, 20 years ago. 
So you've been all over the company and that's given you a really good understanding of everything. So that's, yeah, I mean, the HR function falls under my area. So hiring, you don't have a separate HR person. Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, you certainly wouldn't want me running the HR function. That's <laughs> not something I would be very, well, I could do it if I had to, but it's good to have somebody there uh, in the HR function, in my opinion, who can really be an advocate for the people that work in the company and separate from the owners. All right. So let's set the stage. ATP is located in Erie, Pennsylvania. What is that, about two hours away from Cleveland? It's an hour and a half from Cleveland, about two hours from Pittsburgh, and an hour and a half from Buffalo. And how many people are in Erie? In Erie County, I think the total head counts around 200,000. Okay. So you have about 200,000 population for you to get employees from? We're close enough that we can draw from the far western corner in New York and northeast Ohio as well. So it's maybe a little bigger than that, but we might have a total of 250,000 that's within a reasonable drive of the company. Okay. And Erie has somewhat of a history of, you know, manufacturing. GE Locomotive was there, I, I think, correct? Yes. Uh, the Locomotive still has some operations here, but we've had an awful lot of uh, well, pretty heavy industry in Erie over the years. It would be considered a quote unquote Rust Belt town like Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Cleveland, Detroit, Toledo, Youngstown. Okay. So it's in the culture of people to work in a shop. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So is Erie a good place to find good employees for a company, a machining company? Uh, obviously, we think so, or we wouldn't be located here. Um, okay. The educational system in Erie County and Erie is pretty good compared to other places. The cost of living here is relatively low compared to, you know, a, a major city. A person can buy a nice home in Erie for, you know, $120,000. Right. You know, somebody can can work at a job here in our company and provide a nice living for their family. So, you know, Erie is, it's like, like I said, it, it's a pretty inexpensive place to live. And the people here are pretty well educated. And there's a pretty strong work ethic here. You know, we're fortunate to be able to draw upon that. This is, um, you know, we're getting into a, a key point here, and that is wages. So the wage range at ATP is what exactly? Uh, you know, obviously, it depends upon what kind of a position you're in here. I mean, if you're an hourly employee uh, with no experience walking off the street, you know, we're in the $12 range, $13 range there. And, you know, the highest hourly people are, you know, more than double that. So, um, and, you know, right now, because we're so undermanned, people are working a lot of hours. Obviously, they're being compensated for that. But like I said, you can make a pretty good living here. And most people that come in here, you know, if you've got a strong work ethic and a good head on your shoulders, you're not going to be 12 at 12 or $13 for very long. Right. Well, the people that are making $24 an hour, are they people that people that had, uh, you know, some sort of outside training um, or engineers or? Most of them have been here the whole time and started at the and, bottom. Right. And worked their way up. So are you feeling wage pressure 
um, to get people in the door? Well, I think the overall market is being affected by it. I mean, when you drive by McDonald's and they're offering a $5,000 bonus for some and 15 bucks an hour, are you going to come here at 12? Yeah. Well, it's, it just, it's basic math. So, so what is, are are you guys going to increase your wage to try to match that? We are going to react to market conditions in a way that's appropriate. Okay. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I don't think a decision has been made on that. The problem is if you raise the per- person at the bottom, then you have to raise everybody. It's kind of a domino effect, right? Well, you don't necessarily need to do that. But if you're, you're if you need to pay somebody $20 an hour to start and you've got other people already working here at 15 with more experience, then you got a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I know that there, there was a real push for a, a minimum wage hike to $15 an hour. And to a certain extent, it's happening based on market conditions, which if it's if it's going to happen, that's the way to do it, not a government mandate. The, the minimum wage should be reserved for either part-time or transient kind of positions. Anybody else, we've always paid well above minimum wage. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. And what everybody is telling me is that I can't compete with, you know, the government handouts, uh, you know, as a result of COVID. This is your your hurdle as well? Absolutely. And it, it kind of depends on what state you're in to a certain extent. I mean, you know, if you look at, you know, South Carolina, Florida, Indiana, there's others that have eliminated this federal government subsidy. You know, and, and it's hard, it's a hard thing for a governor to do because elected politicians never want to turn down federal money because Pennsylvania is a state that is continuing to accept this federal government subsidy. Here's a, just an, as an example. Let's say somebody's on unemployment. They would normally make $700 a week or $900 a week. When they go on unemployment, their regular state unemployment might be $400 a week, and the federal government kicks in another $300. They're making the same amount of money on unemployment as $200 less. Don't please don't use that as my right, saying, right, right. I got you. So you're saying, but what you're saying is almost the same, almost or? the same amount of money to not work as to work. So what's happening is a lot of people. And, you know, if I were them, I'd have to decide, you know, hey, do I want to go back to work every day? I mean, there's a reason it's called work. It's because it's work. Okay. Do I want to go into work or do I want to go fly fishing today? Or particularly if your job isn't very fun. I don't know. The, the, the point I'm getting at here is there's a lot of people who could be working and there's all kinds of help wanted signs out there just about everywhere you go. And the incentive is to not work because you're being paid comparable money to stay home. Now, some states are continuing to pay that additional unemployment and other states have decided their governors or their legislatures have decided not to pay. So I'm not here to necessarily uh, tell you what. what, So what's 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 ATP doing about it? Well, ATP is has people working overtime. We are still looking. I, I can tell you this. The temporary services that we use for temporary employees don't have anybody available. That's not a shock. So 
it, it's a huge problem. And, and to be honest with you, no, we haven't solved it yet. I'm hoping that eventually things will get back closer to where they were before the, the pandemic started. And people, the folks that are sitting out are going to come back to work. But I mean, business is, you know, blazing hot right now. Agreed. Correct? Agreed. So it's a good problem in a way that you need people. It beats the alternative. Sure. So, okay. So let's say this is not a strange time like it is right now. How do you retain your employees? Is it, you know, paying the best? Is it your company culture, recognizing people? What's the the key to sustaining a good workforce? I think the most important thing you can do is treat people with respect, treat people for what they are, which are really valuable people, uh, demonstrate their value, recognize people whenever you can. I mean, before I came on this podcast, we had a pizza party here because we had gotten a new part up and running on one of our hydromats. And so we just brought in pizza for the day to recognize the team that worked on it and everybody benefits on it. I mean, it doesn't cost a lot of money to do that stuff, but it's important. A couple other things that I think are really important. I mean, very important. I think safety is the single most important indicator of how engaged your workforce is. So we, we talk, we meet with our employees every day on every shift and meetings are five or 10 minutes. And the first thing we talk about is safety. You can't fake it. The first thing you talk about at every meeting is safety. Safety. Okay. For example, are there any safety issues going on in the plant? This is, it's number one on the agenda, any safety issues in the plant. And if something is brought up, it immediately gets addressed. You either care about your people or you don't. And if you do, the most important thing you can do is provide them a safe workplace. And that demonstrates that you care. If you don't care, then your safety record will be reflective of that. And I'll tell you, the best companies have great safety records. There's a huge correlation to this. So, and it's part of the culture. You you need a culture of engagement. And how has the culture changed over time? Was it, I'm sure it was different when your father was running it. I, I, I only met your father a few times and I have to say, I really liked him. Uh, I thought he was pretty good too. Very personable guy. And um, yeah, he's a great guy. I'm just curious. Did he have the same kind of culture that you guys have? I'm assuming you guys have just modernized the way, you know. Um, He cared about our people here. And most of the the folks that have, and he's only been gone for a few years now, but most of the people that that knew him share your feelings about him. Same as yours. Uh, but he wasn't as hands-on when, when you talk about safety that Harry is or I am. And, and I, that's not to say that we were doing it any better than he was. Uh, but it's just every, you know, every leader is a little bit different and you do things a little differently. And when we started meeting with our employees every day, we started it right when Harry and I bought the company. And my dad used to sit in on the meetings. He'd come in and listen in and answer questions or provide input or whatever. And he thought what we were doing was absolutely the right thing to do. So it's just, I I think when you deal, we're dealing with a lot of younger people 
And, you know, people my age that are around 60 or my dad's age, who'd be about seven or 80 right now, you know, when you tell them to do something, they do it. Yeah, because they feel like you care about them. Well, not just that, but it's just a little bit in the culture. Whereas, you know, the millennial uh, generation, people who are younger, they want to know why. Why do I need to do that? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make sense to me. Why am I doing this? Okay. And, and you know what? Sometimes it's a good idea to tell people why. So when we sit in our meetings and we talk every day, you know, we'll get those questions. Why do we need to do that? And we explain it. Like for, for example, what? Oh, you know, we're going we're gonna to sell a machine. We need you guys to get it ready to be moved. You know, when a lot of people see a machine going out the door, it's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen here? You know, well, you know what? A machine for us is part of our inventory. Every machine at some point in time is going to be turned over. Okay, so you you need to explain that to people. I mean, that's just a little example or. That's a good example. It's a good example. Do you feel like your employees know, have a very good understanding of where their parts are going? And is that a really important part of making people invested in what they're doing and doing a good job? I, I do what I can to get our hourly employees out to visit our customers. Oh, really? I'll send them there. And when our customers come in, I'll have our hourly employees tour the plant with them. I try not to be a tour guide. Mm -hmm. Engaged workforces are able to do those sorts of things. People who are disengaged that don't either don't care or aren't fully invested in what you're doing. You're a little worried about that sort of thing. So it's important to do that. I think the more employees understand what's important to the customer, the better the product that the customer receives. That makes total sense. Is automation changing things in ATP? That's, you know, I think that's related to to the workforce. Yeah, I think over the last five years, we've probably bought 40 robots. And robots do things that are is that are either too monotonous or unsafe for a human being to do. Is that cut down on some of the $12 an hour? Absolutely. You automate wherever you can. Everybody's doing it. If they're not doing it, they won't be around very long. When you try to find new people, are you, what are you using? Well, obviously we, we use social media. Social media. Print media. Yeah. Like LinkedIn or? LinkedIn. We use uh, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, those areas haven't been very productive for us. Um, most of the people that we've hired that start in, come in as uh, general laborers or entry-level kind of people, we typically will, will bring in from a temp service initially. Uh, okay. They'll start out as a temporary employee, and then they'll work their way up from there. They'll, become, they'll get hired full-time, and then they'll work their way up from there. Now, if it's a salaried employee, uh, you know, we'll use, we've used headhunters, we've used uh, social media, we've used, uh, uh, you know, word of mouth, uh, that sort of thing. 
Do you prefer for people to come in sort of with a fresh mind and less experienced, you know, in the shop so you can train them the ATP way? Yes. And that's not to say that if somebody has experience somewhere, we certainly appreciate that and value that. However, most people, really, really good employees are highly incentivized by whoever they're working for to stay there. Either they're very well paid or uh, compensated in other ways in their job that make it impossible to hire them away. Interesting. Just a couple more questions. Uh, you, you ask tough questions, Noah. Oh, well, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. What is, when you hear the word happiness, what does that mean to you? Happiness. Satisfied? Mm-hmm. More than satisfied? Just in, in satisfied in what? Well, I mean, you can be happy in a lot of ways and maybe not in other ways. Um, and, and then you look at all the different ways that you are happy, that they outweigh the things where maybe you're not as happy. I've never been asked this question before either. So I, 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 I'm, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. You're saying it's complex. You know, you can be personally happy. And maybe the person sitting next to you isn't, or maybe your wife isn't. And you're, yeah. Or maybe your, your kids aren't, or your mom isn't, or your dad isn't. I mean, um, is it possible for you to be happy and your spouse not to be? That is an even better question. Or that is an even more difficult question. Um, do you have any advice for somebody who's, you know, in this climate um, that's trying to hire some, I know that some of this stuff, you're just sort of at a loss. All right. There's, there's, what can we do about the political stuff? Um, but there's not a lot you can do. I think all you can do it. If I would, uh, my only advice to anybody would be communicate both inside and outside the organization as best you can. Understand what message you're trying to send, whether it's to a prospective employee or a prospective customer um, or to people inside your organization. There should be a message and the message should be optimistic always. That's, that's great. That's great. Well, um, yeah, I, I think that's a wonderful way to finish and um, just thank you so much. I'm so glad that we got to do this. Noah, thank you. It's a, it's an honor for me to participate in this and, uh, I appreciate it. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Music